Father, we are so grateful for today. We're grateful for the opportunity to be able to sing about your amazing grace, that you are the one way, Jesus, that you are the one who lifts our spirits, who brings us to a place of reconciliation with our Father. God, we are grateful for it, and we look forward to be able to celebrate that even more today. Pray in your name. Amen. You guys can be seated. And as you are seated, I want to take just a moment before I send the kids out. So the kids, you're going to hang out in here for just one more minute. But we had, like I said uh, a little bit ago, uh, we had a membership class about a month ago. And two weeks later, we had the elders gather together to be able to to uh, go over those membership applications. And some of them came in. Some of them are still praying over it. And that's perfectly fine with me on that one. Um, but for those who did come in, I'd like to take just a moment and recognize them so you know who has become new members here at Paragon Church. First, uh, Reese and Melissa DeFries. If you guys wouldn't mind just standing up for me. I know that uh, Clayton and Claire and uh, uh, Carter are out coloring right now. So um, thank you so much for joining us. And we're glad you're a part of Paragon. <laughs> Justin and Julene Heppy, as well as Jacob and Oliver. Would you guys mind standing up for us right here? The Kesters, they signed up as well, but I got a message uh, from Tim, we can be praying. Uh, Carmen's uh, Tim and Carmen Kester. Uh, Carmen's dad actually is in the hospital right now and not expected to live, so they are on their way to Oklahoma right now. So we can be praying for them, but uh, maybe they're watching online or they will watch online. So Tim and Carmen, thank you so much for joining. And then I've also already pointed out Kyle Hoover as he has joined the church as well. So thank you, Kyle. <laughs> Kids, that's all I needed you for. I know Keith wanted to hear it as well. So you can head over there with Mr. Keith, with Maylee, with Peyton. Head on out. Enjoy your classes. And as they head to their classes, I want to remind you that each of you have the ability to join a class too. We call our classes connection groups. They meet during the week. They meet in the evenings. They meet during the day. Please do me a favor before you leave as you grab an extra burrito because I think we have plenty Grab one of those, check out a connection group, and sign up today if you can do that. If you're watching online, you can check them all out at paragonchurch.com, and you can find out all the things that are going on there. I strongly believe in our need to be connected. I strongly believe in the need for the church to be a community. And do you know what is a big part of the word community? Unity. Coming together, connecting together, we need to be unified in the gospel. Why? Well, I'm not sure if you're entirely aware of this, but we have a bit of a division in our country going on right now. And that division has kind of spilled over into the church. And I use the word a division, but I think we're fully aware that it's more than just a division. We have multiple divisions in our country, in our world today. And the word, I'm not sure if you even know this, but the word division is actually two words. The prefix die actually means two or more. And then vision, I'm sure you know what that means. It means what we see. So our country is in the midst of division and we're seeing more than two ways to see things. And as a church today, we are kicking off a series called The Church United. This isn't something that I had planned on a while back. As a matter of fact, it's a part of our gospel project. This is a series within a series. So this is three years in the making. The great thing is, is God knows by amazing coincidence that we're going to need to talk about this today. As a matter of fact, we're going to talk about it for the next six 
weeks. And we're going to be looking about how the church, how about our church, how about the global church can have a unified vision, can have a unified mission and to focus on the greater things that actually unify us instead of the lesser things that tend to divide us. We need to focus on these things. And I actually want to start off with a bit of a game this morning. You know, we had Kyle have all the kids up here dancing around, so I'm going to give you guys all a chance to do something this morning as well. This game is called Either Or. And Either Or is a simple game that we've, we've done as an icebreaker. Maybe you've done it in some team activity before. But Either Or, you get two choices. And you get to stand up and go to the side of the room... Actually, I'm not going to do that. We're just going to raise hands this morning. Um, if you're watching online at home and you want to go to each side of the room, you can do that. That's fine. But what we're going to do is we are going to have two choices. You get to choose the one that fits you better. The great thing about this game is, is you get to see who is like you, and maybe you get to see who is not as much like you as you thought. So in this, we'll just give an example. Cats or dogs? Cats? You cat lovers? Raise your hand if you dare. Okay, okay. So we got a couple of cat lovers. Now, dog lovers, raise your hand. Let me hear a woof. That's right, all right. We got the dog pound obviously going today. So that's the way it's going to go. Second one I have here, because we're doing fall kickoff, because football season has started, do you prefer college football or professional football or I don't care? Okay, so I'm going to give you three options on this one. College football, raise your hands. Professional football, raise your hands. All my I don't cares. That's it. I figured that number would be higher than it was in the past. Okay, this one, this is for you, Kyle. Cowboys fans or not, because you can either be one or the other. That's it. Okay, you're either a Cowboy fan or you're a Cowboy hater. So Cowboy fans, raise your hand. That's right. I was giving Kyle a chance to see who he can connect with in the church. And everybody who he can't connect with, raise your hands. All right, there we go. That's what I needed to see. Here's some more practical ones. I'm getting ready to leave on vacation, really excited about it. Do you prefer a beach vacation or a mountain vacation? Beach, raise your hand. Mountain, raise your hand. All right, see, I think people start to realize that they become more and more like the pastor. Everything you guys have raised your hand for in the majority are just like me. Sorry to scare you all. In-N-Out Burger or Blake's Burgers? In-N-Out, raise your hand. I said In-N-Out, raise your hand. Blake's Burger, raise your hand. All right. Camping or hotel? Camping or hotel? Camping, raise your hand. Hotel, raise your hand. There we go. There you go. Here's a little churchy one for you. Kyle brought it up a couple of weeks ago that his Grammy uh, liked the old traditional hymns. So I'm like, hymns or contemporary music? This one might be a little divisive, so we got to hold on, okay? Contemporary music, raise your hands. Hymns in church, raise your hands. Hey, Kyle, make note, all right? Um, <laughs> Android or iPhone? Android or I, I know, hear the groans? Uh, Android, raise your hand. Okay, we need to save you guys. We're going to hear about Jesus today, okay? <laughs> iPhones, raise your hand. There you go. There you go. How about this? Batman or Superman? That's for you, Adam. Batman or Superman? Batman, raise your hand. Superman, raise your hand. All right, Adam, again, take note. TP over the top or TP underneath? All right, big decision, okay, big decision. It's right or wrong, yeah, exactly right, yeah. If, if you go underneath, you're wrong. So I'm just going to preface that with those who like it underneath, those who like it over the top. There you go. And the, 
Eyes have it. All right, last one. Tacos, hard shell or soft shell? Actually, you know what? It doesn't matter. Tacos are awesome across the board. You're going to like them soft shell or hard shell, so we're good. Now, obviously, I'm keeping this fun, but I could get really political here. I could get really theological here. I could get really philosophical here, but I want you all to stay to the end of the message. I don't want anybody to turn off in the middle of the message watching online, so we're going to avoid that stuff today. We're going to avoid those things because we're going to talk about what unifies us, but even as we avoid it, the church of today and the church of yesteryear had to deal with it all the time, and in that, in the last 2,000 years, and the worship gatherings even before that, they've been focusing on those things those lesser things and far too often for the church today and the church of yesteryear when we focus on the minors and not on the majors it has disastrous results it has splits involved in it all as a matter of fact if you're on our social media you might have seen this description as we launched this series within a series about church united it said this in a time when it is easy to see division in our world the prayer of jesus and the challenge of paul was that the church would stand united Throughout history, when the church joins together, it's an unstoppable force for the good in the world. Do you want to be an unstoppable force for good in the world? I absolutely do. I'm excited about seeing what the church can do because we can be a catalyst for change. But how do we do it? How do we overcome the division that is so everywhere and become a church united? See, the leadership guru, John Maxwell, maybe you've heard of him before. He said these words, working together precedes winning together. Working together precedes winning together. So how do we work together when there's so many things that can tear us apart? How do we work together so we can win together and be that catalyst for world change? Well, being kickoff weekend, again, I want to use some football analogies today. And as I look at that, I think really you can tie in any team sport, but, but football just seems to be pregnant with analogies about unity. I'm not sure if you've heard of a guy named Pastor Tony Evans. He's a pastor in Dallas. He writes lots of things. He's actually, his son's the chaplain for the Cowboys. Um, and, and so there's lots of things that he does about football. This is one of the things he wrote, and I wanted to share it with you. Football is oneness in action. When played well, it's unity on display. Players come from different races and different backgrounds. However, when they get on the field, they harmonize their differences towards a common goal. They do this because the goal is larger than their individual preferences. The moment that a player's individuality becomes more important than the team, he is of no use to his team. But the moment that his individuality loses its unique skills and attributes, he's also of no use to his team. When you look at that and you hear that, we have to understand the diversity is there. And even if you don't like football, any team activity, any sport will tell you the same thing, that unity is a must to get to the goal or you're wasting your time. The church is a team activity. Paul himself says that, that many parts make up one body. We are the many parts and we all have different functions that make up one body and Jesus gave us a kingdom agenda. He gave us a kingdom goal. And if we are unified in our mission, how amazing is it? for the church. If, if we understand that this, even this short blurb from, from Tony Evans here, unity, it doesn't have to mean uniformity. We're going to get into that a little bit more later, but we can be unified in our diversity. But the problem here is this. When me comes before we, we're going to have issues. 
And even more so, when we comes before the gospel, we're going to have issues. You see that when Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 12, that a house divided against itself, it can't stand. That's the me before we. But the we coming together and coming before the gospel, that's what we call the Tower of Babel. They all work together just for the wrong goal. Sorry about that. And so as we begin to see, we have to move forward. And the great thing is, is in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the church at Corinth is that great example that we can see about division and about how Paul speaks to that division and how it's going to change lives and change hearts and change minds. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to go through the whole chapter basically today. And as you're opening up there, I want to give you just a little bit of background to the great example of this church at Corinth. First thing, the church at Corinth, it was actually planted by Paul. It was started by Paul. The city itself was a port city. That's an important thing to hold on to at this day and age. Even still today, that's an important thing to hold on to. But a port city meant it was a great location for both business and for pleasure. So it was a place where the young and up-and-comers were, were moving to. And the city had it all. It had money. It had sports. It had diversity. And it had plenty of the upcoming new trends. All the latest trends were there. The problem is it also, because you brought in so many people from so many places, it had lots of temples set up to Greek and Roman gods. Paul lived there for about 18 months. In the time of living there, he led a bunch of people to Jesus he got a church started, he invested in leadership, and then he moved on. But the problem is when he moved on, the church started to struggle. And if you look at the entire letter of 1 Corinthians, the struggles were many of the same struggles that our church still today deals with, and our church being the global church. Things like divisions that we're going to really focus on today. Things like sexual sin. Things like what can a Christian do and what can a Christian not do. The how to do church. How is it supposed to look? And the question of who, who is Jesus came up as well. Is he truly the son of God or is there other options? All these are things that our church, again, the global church is dealing with today, but Paul hit him head on with his letter to the first Corinthian church or the, his first letter to the Corinthian church. And here's the thing. We look at those, those troubles and we go, oh man, that's a bad thing. Those are bad problems to have. I'm going to disagree with you if you think that. And this is the reason why. I believe when you're reaching people who are sinners, who are broken, they're going to bring their sin and they're going to bring their brokenness into the church and Jesus is going to change them and he's going to work on them and he's going to be that catalyst for change. So if we're not seeing any of those divisions, it means we're not having any of the outsiders come and meet Jesus. So to have these are actually good problems to, as we continue to move forward to changing worlds and changing lives. And that's what Paul's about to lay out in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He begins to talk about this. And I'll tell you, if you have your Bibles and, and you want to read this week, do me a favor and read just the first nine verses because we're not going to cover those today. But there's such an encouragement, such an encouragement to that church. And Paul always opens up with this encouragement, but then he gets to the meat of the problem. And that's what we're going to pick up in verse 10. It says these words, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, 
and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Now, this is going to be kind of our base verse for the series within a series for the next six weeks, and it's an important one. See, Paul is coming in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not just invoking his apostleship, which he does at the beginning of the letter. Now he's coming in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, basically saying, guys, I want you to know this isn't coming from me. I'm not the one that's in charge. Jesus is. And I want you guys to understand that very thing because it's so very important. This is all about him. He's the one in charge. He's the one that's the Lord. And guess who's not the Lord? Guess the one who's not in charge? Me or you. So he's laying this out, this foundation, that this message is straight from Jesus. And he says this, agree in what you say. Now, you might be like, agree in what you say, like everything. No, the things that are important. The things that matter, and those things that matter are this. Know the truth and speak the truth. Not your version of the truth, but the actual truth. Let's be focused on one vision, one mission, one goal, one grace, one Jesus. Not two, not three, not four, not division, not many tribes among you. And actually, there was more than just many tribes in the church at Corinth. And the kind of divisions that we're looking at there, and again, they're going to sound familiar to what we see today. There really was two of them. One was theological, and one was personality. Let's look at the theology first. The questions that were coming up, how do we worship God? Do we follow the Old Testament rules and and in that way pursue holiness? Or do we celebrate our freedom and leave all those rules behind? Does that sound like a problem we're having even in today's church? How do we go into all the world? Do we make everybody come to us and just pass out invite cards? Or do we go to them and to their places of sin and their places where the pagan idols are and all of that kind of stuff like that? How do we reach people? Who is Jesus? Is he truly the son of God or is he not? These are all the theological divisions that were there. Then there was a second set of divisions which is even probably more like today, and it's the personality. The personality is what we see in verses 11 and 12, if you want to follow along with me. It says, For it's been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is a rivalry among you. What I am saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. For us, if it were to be put into perspective, what church do you go to? What kind of church do you go to? What kind of preacher do you have? Those are the things that we deal with. See, Paul, he was a theological guy. He he wasn't a great preacher. He actually, and I'm not saying that, he actually says it. In 2 Corinthians, the letter of 2 Corinthians, by the way, we have a men's Bible study that meets on Friday mornings going through 2 Corinthians. Check that out. But in 2 Corinthians, he says, I'm not good at this. I know my stuff, but I'm not good at presenting it. And we see that. And if you want a deep teaching, You went to Paul. But if you wanted the flash, if you wanted the pizzazz, you went to Apollos. See, Apollos wasn't quite as deep theologically. As a matter of fact, there were times they had to pull him aside because he wasn't quite leading the way a leader should lead. But man, he could preach. He could talk. He could could draw in the crowds. Then if you wanted a guy who was the closest living person to Christ the one who had the great stories, the one that that had the inspiration, that's your Cephas, that's your Peter. He was right there. The funny thing is there's a fourth group that Paul tosses in there, and it's the ones who belong to Christ. Now, that sounds like the group we'd all want to be a part of, right? That's the one. But when we're bragging about it, that's a problem. 
And as a matter of fact, all the commentators that I read about that particular statement this week, they actually said this was the most arrogant group of all. It was, uh, we don't need you. We don't need church. We've got Jesus. Okay, Th- that type of mentality, it-, it pushes people away. And the thing, even as we look at it, there was a crowd there that wanted Bible knowledge. There was a crowd there that wanted to experience worship. There was a crowd there that wanted discipleship. There was a crowd there that wanted missions and evangelism. And then there was that community crowd. These are the people that Paul is talking to. The problem is, is that none of those are bad things. Those are all good things within the church. But like I've said lots of times before, when a good thing becomes a God thing, that's a bad thing. When a good thing becomes a divisive thing, that is a bad thing. When it causes us to say, well, in my self-righteousness, you should be in my group. When it's the separation, it, it, it kills unity. And that's a problem within the church. And, you know, I, I read a thing on this chapter this week as I was studying. It talked about the ways to kill a church. And I'm not sure about you, but I used to love to watch CSI. I don't even know if it's on TV anymore. But the one problem I had with, the, with CSI is that I think it told you how to commit the perfect murder. I mean, because all the technology that they had on the TV show wasn't really available or wasn't as quick as it was there. They, they told you this is how you get around it. This is how you kill somebody and, and get away with it. And this chapter, I think, tells us how to kill a church and get away with it. Well, the, the first thing you do is you, you kill the unity. Then you kill the harmony, and then you kill humility, and you kill purity. And a death of your church will soon follow. It's going to fall apart. So what's Paul do in this letter? He writes to correct behavior. And the first correction that he makes is he wants to clarify unity. He wants to clarify unity. He wants people to understand what unity is. We, we say the church united. Verse 10 said, be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. You know what that same understanding and that same conviction, conviction is? I'm going to give you a hint. It's the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. It is Jesus. It's 100% Jesus. It is the gospel message. It is the power of his salvation, first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles, your rights and Romans. It is the main thing. Jesus is the main thing. And maybe you've heard this statement before in a leadership thing. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's what we have to do. We have to keep Jesus the main thing. Some of you wonder why I have a football up here with a Packer symbol on it. There's multiple reasons, but I'm going to tell you the one main one, okay? The reason why I have it up here is there's a coach by the name of Vince Lombardi. Maybe you've heard of him before. He was the first big-name Packers coach. There was lots of coaches before that, before they, they made it to the Super Bowl, before the Super Bowl was even a Super Bowl. But Super Bowl one and two, Vince Lombardi was the coach. But Vince Lombardi had a very specific thing that he would do the first practice of the year, every year. He would walk into a room of gentlemen who had been playing football probably their entire lives. You know what he would do? He'd hold this out just like this, and he'd say, gentlemen, this is a football. You know why he did that? Because we have to get back to the basics. We have to get back to the foundation. There's so many things and so many thoughts and so many things that are going to pull us apart from each other. Let's get back to the basics. This is a football. And in church work, and in church, the basics of Christianity, what is it? What is our foundation? It is Jesus. 
It is the gospel message that God is good and we are not, and Jesus came to reconcile us to his Father. That is the basics. It's the gospel message. And if we are unified in that very thing, it will change everything else. It will change everything else because everything else will become secondary. And when it becomes secondary, it becomes less important. If we focus on Jesus, politics become less important. If we focus on Jesus, vaccines become less important. If we focus on Jesus, masks become less important. All of those things that we have a tendency to divide over become less important, and we focus on the one thing that does matter, and that is Jesus. See, because when we focus on Him in the grand scheme of things, all those other things don't matter in comparison to Christ. They don't matter in the message of salvation. A friend of mine who's a pastor in Utah actually posted this morning on Facebook that one of his friends passed away. And he kind of went into this long rant after that. He said, if the first thing you ask yourself when you read this post is, I wonder if it was COVID, you need to repent. Because the first question you should ask is, I wonder if he knew Jesus. That's the first thing that's important. All that other stuff, it can be so divisive. It can be so divisive and pulls away from the one thing that matters. See, I'm going to tell you something that's going to be a shocker to you. Everybody's going to die. I know that's a, a, a statistic say. One out of every one person dies. We don't know how they're going to die, but we do know they're going to die whether they wear a mask or not. They're going to die whether we have a vaccine or not. Everyone, though, also when they die, will stand in judgment before a holy God. And the only thing that is going to save them is the blood of Jesus Christ. Not a vaccine, not a mask, not being against vaccines or against masks. Doesn't matter what political party you're part of. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the only thing that really matters. One of my favorite movies of all time is Braveheart. I quote it probably too often. But the, the, the line from William Wallace when he says these words, every man dies, but not every man really lives. I think about that so often. Are we currently just living out our days to eventually die? Or are we dying to ourselves to live a life given to us by Christ for Christ? Because I will tell you the second option is so much better. If all we're concerned with is whether or not we're going to die or not, I already told you, it's going to happen. Let's live while we're living. Let's live for Christ as he gives us breath in our lungs to praise him. See, we get so wrapped up in the fact that we think it's about us. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's all about Jesus. And that is where we find our unity. And when we do that and we live it that way, I'll tell you what, it is a crazy, awesome thing. Unity isn't just uniformity. It's not us all thinking the exact same. It's okay to think different, but we do need to be unified in Christ. Also, we need to understand this. Unity is not just accepting everything and everyone as being right. Paul spends the entirety of the 1 Corinthians letter telling people, this is what we believe, this is why we believe, and this is why it's important. He, does, he, he lays it out for each and every one of us. It's called apologetics. If you have the Right Now Media app, we, we offer it free through Facebook. You, we'll send you an invite if you want one of those. There's so many different studies on there on why we believe what we believe and why it's important. So unity isn't just accepting everything and everyone is right. Unity also doesn't mean we abandon our faith. There are so many people right now that are like, well, we're just going to cancel Jesus because he's offensive. 
Jesus said himself he was going to be offensive. Jesus said that people weren't going to like us if we followed him. We understand that. But we don't just abandon him because of it. We share the gospel with people and let God work in their hearts. Unity is in Christ. Unity is where we have the same conviction about the gospel. Unity is the same understanding of its priority and the importance in life. And then we use that as our guide and how we think about everything else. If that is first in our lives, if Jesus is first in our lives, it changes the way that we see everything and everyone. But you know what? If politics is first in your life, it also changes the way you see everything and everyone. And if vaccines are first in your life, that's also going to change the way we see everything and everyone. And if masks are first in your life, that's also going to change the way. Whatever is first is going to be the filter we see the world through. Make Jesus first, please. Please. So he clarifies unity and says, this is what we do. But then in the second correction, he says, instead of focusing on all that other stuff, focus on grace. Focus on grace. Pick up back in verse 13 with me. We're going to read all the way through 25, and you're going to hear the grace of God in the middle of all of this. It says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in Paul's name? I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that, one, so that no one can say to you, you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize a household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anybody else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to do what? <clears throat> to preach the gospel. Not with eloquent wisdom. Again, he's like, I'm not good at all this stuff because I didn't want to lessen the cross. Or it says here, the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. For the word of the cross is, what's that word there? Foolishness. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made the world's wisdom foolish? For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks, they seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and the foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Paul's laying it out here saying, guys, stop focusing on all the things you think are going to save you. He says, here's a list of things that aren't going to save you and here's the one thing that is going to save you, the grace and the mercy of God. He says, Salvation is not a philosophical thing. You guys want wisdom, not a bunch of people getting together and determining what they believe is the gospel message or the thing that is going to save them, the things they have to do in order to be saved. As a matter of fact, it's also not a success thing. Sometimes we think as long as we accomplish this things, that's going to be good for God. From the world standpoint, was Jesus a success story? No. He was not. He didn't have a big house. He didn't have a big following. And the following he did have when he was crucified scattered. There's no success in any of that from the world standards. Yet there's a following still 2,000 years later. Because it's not about the world standard. The world thinks we're foolish. But it's the power of God for salvation. Salvation is also not an obedience thing. Who are the best people in obeying the law during biblical times? The Pharisees. And what did they do to Jesus? 
They didn't lift him up as Lord and King. They lifted him up as a criminal. Salvation also isn't a wisdom thing. I found this interesting. How many places is the Sermon on the Mount talked about in Scripture? Anybody know? Just in Matthew. Then you have kind of the Sermon on the Field that some people say might be the Sermon on the Mount that is also in there. But only two of the books actually talk about the big wisdom teachings. But you know what all four books talk about? The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Because that is the thing that saves us. All the things that I mentioned are important. The success, the obedience, the wisdom, the the philosophy and, and, and knowledge, but they don't bring salvation. The thing that brings salvation is this crazy, foolish message. And that is this, that heaven is a free gift. But man is a sinner, and man falls short and can't do it on his own. Therefore, God, who is merciful but also just, must punish our sins, but then he sent us Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, we find reconciliation, and all we have to do is believe in faith. Simple, easy message, foolish message. How can you just trust in somebody that is 2,000 years old or whatever they they want to say? All these questions come up. It sounds foolish, but it is the power of salvation for each and every one of us that Christ died for all to be reconciled to God, and we can't do it on our own. So we have to trust him, we have to love him, and we have to live for him. Simple. If we believe that and apply that, I will guarantee there'll be unity in the church. There'll be unity in the church. One focus, one mission, and everything else becomes secondary. When you realize this foolish message, one of the things in the middle of it all is you can't do it on your own, and that phrase in itself kills your pride. And then when it kills your pride, it kills the whole idea that what I think matters, what I've done matters, what I do matters, and what I know matters. It's only who you know and who you put your trust in. So first, he clarifies unity. Second, he focuses on grace. But third, this is what he also says. Lift up Christ. Lift up Christ. Make Jesus number one. It's all about him, right? We say that all the time. You know what the word all means? It means all. Yeah, it's it's not hard. It means all. And when it says all, if it's truly all about him, guess what? Everything else loses significance in our lives. Everything else you try and find your identity in is useless and even, dare I say, worthless compared to Christ. Let me put it into perspective for you. I told you as soon as we leave this, the service is over, my family and I are loading up our giant black van and we're going to make a 6,000 plus mile round trip to Maine for my sister's wedding. I have the opportunity to be able to officiate my sister. She's 11 years younger than me. She actually was born on my 11th birthday. Um, it, uh, it, we, have, uh, we, had, we had a good relationship, and, and she went to Maine and did her thing, and, and I've been here, so we haven't connected a whole lot, so I was really excited when she asked me to officiate her wedding. When she asked, I said, man, Maine's a long ways away, but it was also in the middle of everything being locked down. The whole, whole world was locked down, and we're like, why don't we just load up the kids? They're just doing school online anyway. We can find a way to do school online in the car and just drive. And so we said, we're just going to load up and we're going to go. We're going to go for three weeks. In the process, one of the things that we're going to do is uh, in about two days, I believe it is, we're going to be in Kentucky. I know, hot spot for vacation activity. But there's something in Kentucky that, that I had always wanted to do, Christie's always wanted to do since it opened. That is the Ark Encounter and the Creation Museum. Um, 
But I'm never in Kentucky, so why in the world would I ever plan just to go do that? I mean, Louisville Slugger Factory's in Louisville, so maybe, but, you know, there, there's that kind of, you're kind of looking around, you're like, oh, well, we figured out that that's where we're going to go, and, and that's where we're going to go right by, so we're going to go into the Ark Encounter, and I am, I hope I'm not psyching myself up too much for it, because the, the fact that Noah built this Ark over, not this one, um, that, that'd be really cool. But that he built an ark over 120 years and did it with all of the world telling him he was stupid. And all of his family, he kept unified in it all. That in itself is an impressive feat. But then to be able to do it all without the tools and all the things that we even have today, it's crazy. We're going to go from there and we're going to go into Washington, D.C., hopefully. Uh, we're going to go into Philadelphia. We're going to go into Boston. And you know what we're going to see there? We're going to see monuments of men and women who have preserved freedom. They came together in unity and preserved freedom. And I'm excited to see that. I'm excited to show my kids that. And then we're going to go to this thing on on our way between Philadelphia and Boston. It's called the Empty Sky Memorial. You know, obviously, 20 years ago yesterday was the 9-11 attacks. The Empty Sky Memorial is uh, right next to Liberty Park across the river from um, New York, and it's in New Jersey, and it's a memorial where basically they have two long um, monuments laying on their side as if it was the, the twin towers that fell down, but it walks you right to where you can see the one tower that's there, and over here is the, the Statue of Liberty. That is going to be pretty cool for me. We're not going to go into New York City because there's no way I'm dragging all my kids into New York City. But I'm not sure if you've seen it. The funny thing is I saw the meme go around this morning. I want 9-12 to happen again. I don't want 9-11 to happen again, but I want 9-12. Because on 9-12, they sold out of American flags. We, we saw all of our congressmen praying on the steps of the Capitol, not just some, not just one side, not just another, all of them coming together. The, the unity that was followed 9-11 is something that I don't ever remember any other time in my lifetime. But to see people unified for one vision and one goal was something that was amazing. As we go up, we'll hit Maine. We're going to take a northern route coming home. And part of our northern route, we're going to get over to Mount Rushmore. And then we're going to come down through Denver. I know you're like, man, you guys are crazy. Yes, we are. Okay. But as we go the northern route, you kind of go through Chicago. And just about two and a half hours north of Chicago, it's just a little blip out of the way. It's a little town called Green Bay. It's a little smaller than uh, than Rio Rancho, as a matter of fact. There's only 90,000 people that live in Green Bay. The stadium holds 87,000. Isn't that crazy? But... So it's actually smaller, but it has one of the the best football teams ever uh, that reside in there. The thing is, we're going to be there on a Wednesday, and they're playing the Steelers that weekend. I'll be back here by that weekend uh, for all things and and doing church and excited about that. But on that Wednesday, I told my kids, I'm like, you guys need to see Lambeau Field. Maybe I do too, but... But I've been twice. I've never been on a tour. I've got to go twice, but there's something special about Lambeau Field. And one of the cool things that, that I have had the opportunity to go, I got to go on a Monday night right after Thanksgiving on Brett Favre's 200th uh, career start. That tells you how old I am, because some of you don't know who Brett Favre is. Um, but um, I got to go that night, and I told Christy, I'm like, hey, watch for me, because it'll be on ESPN. I'm going to have my giant orange jacket on. You remember this, Chris? I'm like, I'm going to have my giant orange hunter jacket on so you can see me. Well, that same week, obviously a long time ago, 
Seven hunters were, were shot and killed by some crazy guy that was sitting up in a tree and picking people off. So all of Green Bay got together to honor them, and they all wore orange. <laughs> Hunter orange for them. So I didn't exactly stand out. I actually fit in quite well. But one of the crazy things was is the other game I got to go to um, was uh, uh, actually, it was Packers Cowboys on, on that one. And I got to go up there and, and got to be a part of everything that was going on. And there's something special when you walk into that field that everybody is common. Everybody has a commonality about them that they're there for four quarters to cheer on Green Bay. There's, there's not a lot of visiting fans that, that go to Green Bay. It's, it's everybody's packed in and they're, they're having a great time. They probably have 10,000 differences outside the stadium, but for four quarters, they're unified as one. I see the church that way. We might have 10,000 differences outside of here, but when we come together in here, we are unified as one. And we take that unity and we take it out and we share that gospel. See, the church should be one goal, one mission, one focus. One goal, one mission, one focus, and that is Jesus. It's Jesus. If you've never joined Team Jesus, it's a simple, foolish message, and I would love to share it with you today. That's where our unity has to be. One team with many great gifts working for a kingdom agenda, not ours. Would you pray with me that our church, that the church would be unified? Unified in mission, unified in the gospel, unified in our essentials, unified together. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you again for today. And thank you for Son Jesus, who unifies this group of so many different people with so diverse of backgrounds and so many different thoughts. The people who are watching online at home, the people who are sitting in this room, the only reason why we get together, the primary reason, I should say, to get, that we get together is because of your son. Because he has made us one in him. And we're grateful for it. We praise his name because of it. This morning, God, as we walk out of here, as we go our different ways, may we not shine a political party and not shine a stance on some medical issue, but instead shine Jesus. Give us the power, give us the strength because everything in the world is telling us to do something different. We pray it all in your name. Amen. I'm gonna slide over here to the end and I would love to be able to talk to you about who Jesus is, about what he's done. And we're gonna wrap up this service with a, another upbeat song. And it's a song by Fee called, Oh, Happy Day. So would you stand and join us as we sing?